This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome everybody to Brown's Film Breakdown, winning edition here on Monday morning. This is Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, writer for Cleveland.com, coming at you with the facts of the Browns' 35-20 win on the road in Cincinnati. So much to discuss, so much to cover, short amount of time here, but I want to urge you guys, if you haven't done so, to jump on iTunes, give us a rating, reviews, subscriptions if you can. You know, all of the feedback, I genuinely appreciate you guys jumping on listening. I really can't fathom anybody listening to my voice on Brown's content, but it has come to that. And I really want to just thank you guys for, for giving uh, your, your attention to this podcast, giving your reviews and ratings. I appreciate all of that. But without wasting any more of your guys' time, let's talk about what happened. Yeah, plenty of positive that came out of this game, obviously. The Browns controlled it from what I thought controlled from beginning to end. We will talk about the concept of what happened in the second half, but the first half was a euphoric feeling, a euphoric type of atmosphere for Browns fans, something many of us haven't felt in in quite a long time, I would imagine, since right around that 2014 season when uh, the Browns were on that roll and and, and found their way to a 7-4 record before things fell apart. But this this felt, felt different. It felt like something we haven't felt here in a long time. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg for what this team can become. So, yeah, they jump out 28-0, Browns' first four scoring drives of the game. Baker Mayfield leads productive drives down the field. They score for the first time on an opening drive in 14 games, something like that. Mayfield finishes the day 19 for 26, 258, four touchdowns. Now is up to 17 touchdowns on the season. I tweeted out, actually, that since the Tampa Bay game, Mayfield has found a real rhythm in his comfort in this league. He is Something along the lines of close to 70% completion percentage, up around 1,100 yards in the last five games, right around 13 touchdowns, only two interceptions. He's hit a stride. Now, there's no doubt that the defenses between Tampa Bay, Kansas City, Atlanta, and now uh, the Cincinnati team that we saw just yesterday are not top-graded defenses in the NFL. But we do have to keep in mind that quarterbacks have to play well. Mayfield's only a rookie. Sometimes we forget that. He's still only a rookie, obviously, only playing in his what is now his ninth game as a as a as a starting quarterback in this league. And that means something for him to put meaningful performances together. Even if the defenses aren't rated all that highly, it's gonna prove to be beneficial for him because that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to make those plays. He's supposed to beat those defenses and he's doing it. So nothing but positive things to say about Baker Mayfield as he keeps progressing. If you guys follow along with me on at Jake underscore Burns 18. I tried to go over those plays, highlight a few with some audio breakdowns. I encourage you to look at those. And you're going to obviously see a quarterback who the game is slowing down for, made great decisions on Sunday. Yeah, took the foot off the pedal in the second half. But that doesn't change the first half performance from Mayfield, which was really one of the better ones we might have seen across the NFL. Nick Chubb finishes 28 carries, 84 yards. I do think the Bengals controlled the line of scrimmage in the run game. Uh, long 27-yard run there close to the end of the game to really ice the game. It was an effective run, but 
for the most part, you know, late into the fourth quarter, Chubb had nearly two yards per carry. And again, I thought Cincinnati, who's really been struggling run defense-wise, emphasized that uh, quite a bit going into this game. And they, they really outperformed the Browns up front. But the Browns controlled the game through the air, which is what you need to do in the modern NFL. And it led to a productive first half for the Browns, jumping out 28-0, giving up a score before half. But 28-7 was the most dominant half of football I've seen from the Browns for quite some time, really, like I said, dating back to 2014. We will obviously break down the tape closer for, for offensive line play, but this is the second game in a row in which the Browns have not allowed a sack. The first time they've done that since 2007, so that's pretty remarkable. We will take a look at that again uh, in the coming days as the All-22 film is released, and we can get a really good feel for how the Browns played up front. But on the stat sheet, the Browns won the battle in the passing game. Anytime you're not giving up very many pressures or very many sacks, you're you're doing things right. I thought David Njoku played one of his better games, did a nice job. Quick throws, did a nice job on that play action. Third and one play and turned into a long gain. Obviously did a great job turning that tight end screen in the red zone into a touchdown with the help of his teammates. Just like his rookie season, Njoku is improving immensely as the year goes on, showing a much steadier presence, and it couldn't come at a better time for the Browns as Baker Mayfield really finds his stride as the starting quarterback in the future of this football team. Defensively, Joe Schobert led the way, eight tackles, played a heck of a football game, continues to be the impact leader this team needs. His health is really paramount to the success of this defense. I do think Miles Garrett doesn't pop on the stat sheet with just one sack, but he did have three quarterback pressures. I do think he's being consistently held. I do not have a great answer for why it's not being called, something to keep a, you know keep an eye on going forward. I think it is wearing on him a little bit. He should be having more productive games from a stat sheet perspective, but there is little doubt in my mind that opposing offenses are really constructing most of their game plan on how they protect their left tackle from what is coming from Miles Garrett on each snap. On a first glance, secondary-wise, thought Demarius Randall played well, had an interception, obviously, the uh, joking nature which he handed the ball to Hugh Jackson, which was really just a perfect culmination on this Hugh Jackson bowl, and, and, and it couldn't have come at a funnier moment, and the way in which it happened was pretty perfect as well. Denzel Ward continues to put on impressive performances. Again, he did get beat by John Ross deep one time. Ball was overthrown. But for the most part, he continues to provide that steady hand the Browns need. It is very rare that you see him in the wrong position or getting beat, and he's just a really good sound football player out there at the corner for Browns and a really a Cornerback one for the foreseeable future. Obviously, plenty of positive to take away from this game. And to dig a little bit deeper, let's jump to our interview with USA Today's Jeff Risden. All right, guys. Excited to welcome in uh, Jeff Risden. Obviously, a big name in the Browns Twitter community. You guys have probably interacted with him at some point. A guy whose opinions and uh, takes on the Browns I certainly pay attention to look at as often as I possibly can you can find him at Jeff Risden on Twitter he is the managing editor for the Browns Wire which is a great website if you guys can get a part of USA Today Sports get there read that content also does work um, with Real GM he's their senior NFL and draft analyst for them as well Jeff man how are you doing buddy I am enjoying watching what the Browns did today and what they are becoming Jake this 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 was this was a fun fun day for Cleveland yeah, no doubt. It was, I mean, the first, let's talk about that, actually. Let's just kind of dive in. The first half was about as out of body as I have felt watching a Browns team in a while. Obviously, we know coming into this game, Jeff, that the Browns were playing a Bengals team that was very beat up. Uh, really have been decimated by injuries for the most part of the last five games when they've played some really good offenses in New Orleans, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, some of those really good passing offenses who have you know sort of put in the rushing game aspect too and the Browns couldn't have really 
I guess found them at a better time and it worked out well and they jumped out early. How, how do you feel about it? I know they jumped out early. Talk to me about how you felt with the first half. Where did it sort of lead to in the second half for you? You know, I was very thrilled that they came out and went for it. Uh, they they talked a lot during the week that they thought they were going to win. You know, Demarius Randall came out and said, you know, we're going to beat their ass. And they backed it up and, and they did it right away. And I thought that was critical. Uh, playing with a big lead is tough, and, and we'll talk a little bit uh, <laughs> in a bit about, about playing with the lead because I don't think they knew how to do it. But getting to that lead was, was well, oh, man, that was awesome. That was as good of a half of football, other than the Bengals' final drive there where they got that touchdown. You can't ask for more as a Browns fan for what you saw from that. Baker Mayfield going six for six, finding five different guys on the first drive, um, looking great. You know, Chubb running well. Greg Robinson blocking well. You saw David Njoku finally making a, a big impact on a game uh, with, with his receiving. You saw guys that were having fun playing football and, and doing it and, and showing up Hugh Jackson, which I think was a, was a huge motivating factor. And I love that they, they, they stole that narrative right away. Like, is Hugh going to give the Bengals any advantage or, or do the Browns have the advantage that he's now on the other sideline? They, they, they totally took that over right away. Uh, and and that that was exactly what you needed to do in that kind of a situation. So I, I applaud Greg Williams for for going out. Um, I actually wrote it in, in Bronson. It reminded me of of Cobra Kai in the dojo. You know, sweep the leg <laughs> early, and they went for it and they did that. Um, now, unfortunately, they you know they let him get back up. But I, I I loved the game plan and the execution of it. You know, they had a a wounded team and they didn't let them have any life or any hope early on. And uh, that, that, that's exactly what you want a team to do. Yeah, no, those are great points, especially kind of sweeping that leg with the opening drive. Their first, I, I, I can't remember the statistic CBS had up, but that was the first opening drive touchdown they may have had in, was it 14 games? It's, uh, it, yeah, 14 games. Yeah, which is yeah. wild. They've started out so slowly. It's good to see since Kitchens has taken over that they've done a really nice job of jumping out early. I think the second half... You start to run into uh, the, the, the the conversation where, yeah, the Browns, you want them to step on the throat of the, you know, anybody that they jump out on early. Trust me, I want that too. But as a coaching staff, I do think you sort of sit down and say, okay, it's 35-7 here with 13 minutes left in the third quarter. Let's just kind of put our guys in a position that the Bengals probably have to make 35 straight perfect plays to beat us. And I think that's sort of the approach they took. Yeah, I think Freddie Kitchen's you know, I, I, as a guy who's called plays at some level, it's not even remotely the same thing. I get it. It's tough. You really become a little bit predictable. He could have done better in that regard in terms of mixing up run-pass situations. But I think there's a learning process or a learning curve, too, that comes in this sort of nature with Freddie Kitchens because he's never called games before where he's been in that situation as well. So it'll be good for them to get tape of the situation, uh, everything that comes with being a, you know that far out in front that quick with that much time left because that was certainly new to them. The Atlanta game, sure, sure they were up, but they weren't up 35-7 and there wasn't 13 minutes left. So there's something that comes. Out. Did you have concern about that, Jeff? I mean, I mean, how do you kind of feel about that second half uh, on the field? I did. I, I, didn't, I didn't like the drive where they did uh, two straight runs to Chubb against a loaded box and then they they threw out of the spread on third down. I thought that was a situation where they could have gone play action maybe uh, and maybe generate something. You know, th- going out that quickly, um, th- like you said, they're learning how to play with that. They're learning how to manage that situation. Greg Williams hasn't been a head coach in a long time. Freddie Kitchens has not been an offensive play caller ever. So, th- I mean, they're, they're, they're learning these things. They'll, they'll learn from that, and I hope they do. There was, you know, 
and, and some of it you, you do have to tip your head. Jeff Driscoll looked pretty good. We yeah. talked about it before we, we started recording. They they might they certainly have a guy who's at least as good as AJ McCarron. I think he looked better than that today. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll see what happens with that. But you, you do have to tip your head a little bit. They started making some plays. They got a little bit of confidence going. Uh, it helped that Miles Garrett was getting held on every play without any recourse from the officials. Oh, man, some of those, my goodness. They, I, yeah, good I, don't, I think it turns into a, it's like the officials in the NBA didn't know how to call LeBron. It's getting to that, or, you know, or Shaq when he was bigger than everybody. I don't, I just don't know if they understand how to call, like what, maybe he needs to sell the hold more, throw his arms in the, I'm not sure what else he can do, but there are certain situations yeah. where I don't, I'm just not sure how a guy's standing there staring at him can miss it. And I get that officials, when games are lopsided one direction, they tend to call fouls to benefit the team that is losing it's just human nature that they don't call as many things but yeah I mean for Miles Garrett at the bottom line here is people just sort of gawk at the score box and he only had one sack he had I mean he played well he had a sack and three pressures and he was good um but yeah Drew, the, the, uh, he, two two false start penalties and an illegal shift penalty too <laughs> yeah yeah that's absolutely true so um you know, plenty, plenty to feel good about. I mean, I think any time that you can win in the division on the road by 15 points, beat up team or not, you know, I never felt like Cincinnati was really in that game. Yeah, they sort of made it uncomfortable in little situations in the second half, but I, I never felt like Cleveland was doing anything other than dominating. I've been on that, and, you, you know, Jeff, you probably have been on this side of the situation too playing, is that I've been on the winning side of that where you sort of let your foot off the throttle. It happens second. You don't tell yourself you're doing that, but you let your foot off the throttle a little bit. And then I've been on the side of the Bengals where you're you're sitting back, you're getting in a groove as a quarterback, and you're picking apart a defense that becomes pretty predictable. You know, the, the Browns started switching up some blitz looks late in the game, and that's when Driscoll sort of started to have some issues. So people got to look at the whole big picture here. What were the coaches trying to do? What were they looking at accomplishing I do think that Freddie Kitchens can sit down, watch the tape, and under you know, ironically, after the Hugh Jackson, but watch the tape and uh, and figure <laughs> out, yeah, you know, figure out some tendencies about what he could have done better. Because when you watch peak offense, you watch the Chiefs-Rams game that was the miracle of Monday Night Football the other day. Uh, Sean McVay, who everybody's striving to be in, in in closeout situations, is doing the unpredictable. He's he's you know he's he's running play action fakes to get the ball out of Goff's hands and catch defenses off guard. So I think that there needs to be a paradigm shift in terms of understanding the value and win probability of taking those risks. So that's a fun thing to look at going forward if and hopefully when the Browns find themselves in that situation. But I will ask you this question. Offensive line, Jeff, how did you think they performed? I thought they looked very good when the game was still a game. Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased with Greg Robinson. I tried to watch him as much as I could. How big would that yeah. be if they can if they can get him these last five games? I hate to interrupt you, but i got to ask you because you're, you're a draft No, guy. man, it's... It's crazy to me because I watched him. He was yeah. with the Lions last year, and as you know, I cover the Lions. He was he was so bad. He was worse than Rod Johnson was last year. Mm-hmm. And if you remember how bad Rod Johnson was in in training camp, I, I was there for a few days of that too. He, he, his his false step, his his need to go forward in pass protection on everything before he he sets up, he's fixed that. Um, he's still not a good run blocker, and there were a couple of times today. He had a couple. He was actually had a really good run block on the the first uh, Chubb touchdown. Um, I, I thought he did a good job, but he he's he's never going to be great at that, which is ironic because that was what he was billed at coming out of Auburn. Uh, but yeah, if he can do what he did in pass protection again, this is the third week in a row where he's been so- solid. Yeah, you, you can live with that um, when yeah. you've got a guy like Baker who can create and who doesn't mind having pressure put on him because he can you know dodge around and, and make things happen. 
you know, it, it's similar to the way that Aaron Rodgers operates in, in Green Bay, where they almost like having a little bit of pressure because it, he can throw the defense off that mm-hmm. way. I think Baker has that panache to him. And if Greg is playing the way he is now, you've, you've got something. Yeah. Uh, I, was a little cons- I was a little concerned with J.C. Treader today, and I would have liked to have seen him get out of the game and let Austin Corbett get some meaningful reps at center. Uh, that, that's, that's one of the, the things that I'm going to pick at a nit there. Uh, because Treader, he was he was limping pretty badly in that one drive, and I would have liked yeah. to have seen him, you know, taken out. I mean, but uh, again, when you're complaining about these things after a win, it's a lot better than complaining about them after a loss. You're you're absolutely right. I will say, and though that's a great point about the Aaron Rodgers tie-in with, you know, Aaron does hold on to the football longer than anybody else, but there's a certain beauty in the way he plays and making things happen, and he's at the best form of Aaron Rodgers happens when things break down and it requires him to to break schedule, and I think that especially with a couple of touchdown throws we saw from Mayfield, and he had another ball up the left hash where he sort of stepped up, evaded, got close to the line of scrimmage, and dropped off a great throw. It might have been to uh, Callaway. Oh, yeah. I can't that, was, that was beautiful. Yeah, yes. th- that's a part of him. It is. He can play with instruction, I think, well enough. Um, and, yeah, he can he can evade and make throws on the run and do those things. So we're seeing him get more comfortable. Really, for me, the part that I thought, okay, like this guy really feels comfortable from a quarterback perspective was the play-action fake where he hid the football. That come oh really, that was beautiful. It really was, man. Because like when you can have that confidence as a quarterback that, that a this play action fake is going to work. B I'm comfortable enough to kind of it's a showboaty thing, but the best of the best have done it. Where you sort of hide that football and you're playing a you know a bait and switch sort of thing going on there. And he dropped it all per like that part of me was like oh my god like this game is slowing down for him and he's getting it like he's totally getting it. A guy who's never really played under center and he felt comfortable with it. So that just great to see. I mean he was. He was you know, 19 of 26, 258, four touchdowns. Didn't really even have to throw it the second half. I tweeted out where he's he's been since the Tampa Bay game. and um, 13 touchdowns, two picks, over 1,100 yards, and really completing 70% of his passes. Yeah, the defenses haven't been great. Like That part doesn't miss me. I study the NFL. I get it. I know the Falcons aren't great. Exactly. I know the Chiefs aren't great. I know the Bengals are beat up. But you also have to do what you're supposed to do. And as a rookie, he's doing it. And that is something. And that means something. And he's played well enough-ish against, I think, Pittsburgh. He didn't play real well at all. Um, But, you know, against Baltimore, which is a top-five defense, he played really well in that situation, too. So what you want to see him do, he's doing it. Um, And and, and it's tough to wrap your mind around it as a Browns fan. He doesn't seem real. Today's game, at some points, did not seem real in in a lot of respects, but it's it's fun. So um, let's shift defense, Jeff. It's kind of all over the board here in terms of guys that have impressed you. But I know we had a conversation, or at least I chimed in on a conversation you were having with Jared Mueller, the OBR, about T.J. Carey. So what do you what do you think T.J. Carey, long-term picture? Is Carey here? I know his contract's a little bit heavy. They probably expected him on the outside. But since he shifted inside, what have you seen? Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a completely different player since they've moved him primarily to the inside. And it, it's interesting because he, he did the opposite when he was in Oakland. He started in the slot and wasn't good, and they moved him outside, and he was better. Um, then he then he wound up switching back, and then then he earned the big contract. I I think for what they're paying him, he's I think you have to keep him, uh, in part because my guy Brian Brian Body Calhoun is not playing all that well, and he didn't look all that good today either. Uh, he was he I know he got burned on one breakdown. Um, he did make a couple tackles, but yeah. he has uh, to understand yeah, I, his futures at safety. I think I think that's where he's he's got yes, to accept it. it. And, and, go ahead. And sorry. if it's if it's not if he doesn't embrace it here, he's going to have to embrace it somewhere else because. Yeah. Uh, he, there will be a market for his services out there. And if you're the number four safety, I, I think he can probably climb the ladder somewhere else. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's something we can talk about after the season. 
I was I was very happy with how confident Carey plays in the slot. You're seeing him do things that you know when when he was outside early in the year and, and back in even in the training camp, he looked like he was he was thinking way too much when he was outside. And when it's in the slot, you're, you've got a different type of receiver coming at you. You've got different responsibilities. Uh, it's kind of a shorter mindset, and I think that's suiting him very well. He, he also blitzes great off the, off the corner, which I thought was a, a nice little wrinkle. I'm happy to see it. Uh, I'm an Ohio Bobcat, so it's, it thrills me to have an Ohio Bobcat doing well in the NFL because yeah. we haven't had that in a long time. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he's found his home, and that's one less thing that you have to address this offseason. Uh, yeah. Because the way he signed up for you, might as well you might as well keep him. You yeah. get Terrence Mitchell back back there. You've got a you've got a solid one two three punch there at cornerback. Uh, I was a little concerned when when John Ross ran past Denzel Ward today. Uh, the, they missed the throw, but uh, that that was a little concerning. But other than that, I thought Ward played pretty well and and has he is getting that swagger to him. And I, I think Demarius Randall brings it out in him. I, th- I, th- I think Randall played fantastic, aside from the interception and the show up a few, which was just, oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's been so good. He, he belongs in the Pro Bowl this year. And if you say that to a, a Packers fan from last year, they're going to look at you like, what are you smoking? And pass it. Because yep. uh, he wasn't good at cornerback. Uh, but, man, it, there's a theme here. They're putting players, their best players are being consistently put in positions to do what they do best. That's good coaching. That's a good team. Those are things that you say about the Patriots and the Chiefs um, and, and, and the Steelers, as much as you hate to say it. They consistently do those things, and bad teams don't do that. I, I cover one in the Lions that never seems to understand that concept. So from that standpoint, I like what I'm seeing from from Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens, uh, and and more, please, because uh, that's not something that we've ever said. I mean, you go back to 2014, you know, the last time they had a win streak, um, and and Mike Pettin did okay with that. I think he was a little too focused, probably too little, little too hard on the defense, and gave a little too much control on the offense. But yeah, that, it, it's fun to watch a team with confidence and swagger. An attitude, and they can back it up. Yeah, that's a great point, Jeff. Especially on TJ Carey and 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 in training camp, what he looked like. Uh, I, I thought Ugh. there were there were times. That, yeah, there were times where he was borderline cuttable. Um, so yes. I, I am very happy that they found a role for him. Very happy Demarius Randall is in his home at free safety, looking confidence, passing on that swagger. Great point again about Denzel Ward. I think John Ross gets a free release on anybody. He's probably going to run by him. But you're right, Ross had him beat there. Um, but yeah, man, Ward's looking like that guy we can trust. To cover some of the better receivers, uh, you know, I need to look at what the coverage totals look like when Pro Football Focus releases tomorrow. But just ton to feel good about. Anybody else defensively stand out for you? I thought Schobert did pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing some things. I I liked Ogba. Um, he, he lost. Yeah. Well, he got the one. He lost. He got the uh, the fumble recovery. I guess it wasn't technically a sack because it was just a straight fumble. Yeah. I thought he did uh, the way he just abused Bobby Hart today was was kind of cool to see. You know, Ogba is a guy that there's a lot of discussion about, does he need to be replaced? Is he a starter? Is he your third line? You know, do you kick him inside? What do you do along the defensive front? And that's something that we can debate going forward, you know, when we get there. But I I think today he looked really good against a bad offensive line, which is what you want him to do. Oh, and Joby, obviously, he's a handful on the inside. He, He doesn't always sense that he's that handful yet. I, and I, I'd love to see it click for him on every play, but man, when it when it does, when it's there for him, he he's a, he's a complete handful on the inside, and, and definitely worth keeping and building around. Yeah, you know, so I, I was happy. With that. I was happy to see Kendrick get a pick too. You yeah. know, that's 
you know, there's a guy who who sort of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. You know, he plays the exact same position as Peppers. Um, they they sort of share the role, and and you know, there are, there are weeks where Kindred is better than Peppers. There are weeks when when Peppers is better than Kindred. It's nice to see a guy who's been a good soldier about the whole thing get rewarded like that. Yeah, I agree. He's he's certainly not a marquee guy, but he is somebody they do thirty snaps or so a game. They they rely on him, and he does a nice job for him. And it's good to see the entire roster healthy. And when the roster's healthy, they got a shot. So that sort of caveat about the roster uh, brings the next five. So I I, I want to get your feeling. Three, uh, what I consider to be three tough road games, it's never easy going to mile high. Yeah, the Broncos aren't that great. But you go to Houston, um, you, you host the Panthers, who are obviously good. Um, then you bring, you, sorry, you travel out to the Broncos, host the Bengals again uh, at Baltimore. Where do you, you know, four, six, and one, where do you see this group finishing in, in, in a realistic uh, end of the season? I, I think the goal should be to avoid double-digit losses, and that means going what two and three, um, winning at least two of the games. That gets you to six wins, and you're six nine and one. If you would have told most Browns fans at the beginning of the year that you're going to be six nine and one, uh, and there's a chance that you know the Bengals could be right there with you, um, and the Ravens are imploding before our eyes, it seems. Although they're they're they look pretty good today. Uh, the Raiders I, will do I that think, for you. So. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, they will. The Raiders are a good tonic for for everybody, you know. And 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 you got Hugh out of the way, and you've got a lot of positive things with the quarterback. I think most Browns fans would have been very happy to say, "Yes, give me that, give me give me what we're getting." So in that respect, yeah, I I would love the sweep over the Bengals. Uh, I would love the sweep over the Ravens too. I, I would like to win one of those. Uh, Houston's going to be a tough one because that team's really fighting for their playoff life. Denver is probably the most winnable of those, um, but they're tough at home and they got a good defense. They're gonna they're gonna be a challenge for Baker. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm leery about that. I want two wins. I, I want to avoid double digit losses. That 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 is a real mindset. You know, the, the fact that you're building towards something and you can say, hey, you know what, we we really climbed the ladder. That's six six and a half games better than we were a year ago. Yeah, yeah, give me that. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that if you can certainly, you know, that was the thing that everybody wanted to see in the Sashi Brown situation. We needed to see, yeah, what tanking was happening. We get it. And this is a conversation that has been going on for years now and could last five more years, but you wanted to see tangible progress. You go one in 15, you needed to, yeah, maybe four wins isn't a big deal, but it would have been stepping stone progress. And that's what we needed. So I'm with you, Jeff. I think that they go six, nine and one. That's a tangible progress sort of thing. And especially a better overall feel in terms of coaching and then this Bruce Arians rumor, where does that lead? If you want to keep the offense defense <laughs> yeah, in, no in, in the certain situations they're in, the hand-in-glove fit is you bring in Bruce Arians and you say he's the head coach, he's the leader, you have Greg still running his defensive unit, that would mean that the defense has been in the same system for three years, which you cannot sleep on the importance of that, in my opinion. And then you have Baker Mayfield with his coordinator and Freddie Kitchens, who's learning, getting better, has shown some really positive improvement and... They have a good relationship, and you go into year two, and you feel good. You have a good chance. You you got to get a big draft again. Yeah, you're feeling good about free agents. Where, so do, we, where do we sign for that? Yeah, that, that, man. That that sounds like the optimal situation. And, and it sounds it. like that's what Bruce Arians really wants. Like that's the corner he's pushing for. Obviously, with Ian Rappaport's report this morning, that um, you know Arians would only he, listen he, to the Cleveland job. What do you think? He's sure lobbying for the job, isn't he? It doesn't he sure sound is. that way. Like, like he he definitely wants it. He does, and and he's making it well known. And I'm fine with that. Like, I get that he has a short shelf life. He's the same age as Bill Belichick. He's 66. That doesn't mean he's going out anytime soon. It does mean that you can right the ship and use him to get your your franchise in a better, stable position. Imagine Bruce Arians is here for three years. The Browns find a way to get into the playoffs year three. Bruce retires, and then look at that 
that lay of the ground for whoever wants to come in and take the ship. Now, I get it. Everybody wants the Sean McVay miracle hire right now. But that's not – I get it. Like, that's cool, man. I get it. I want it too. Yeah, you want it. Everybody wants that. I want it too. But you don't know. You just don't know if that's out there. So the Aryan situation hey, – I'll tell you one one thing that, that the the Arian situation it reminds me of the Rams when he took over there with the greatest show on turf with Mike Martz, yep. guy who was not ready to be a head coach yet, but yep. was a brilliant young coordinator. Um, that they had a, a good defense That's a great that, that had a system together, uh, and and Vermeil was what I think he was sixty four when he came back, so, so a yeah. little bit younger, but had been out of the game forever. Yep. And and look what happened with that team. They yep. won a Super Bowl. They got to another one and just lost that. You better believe we'll take that. That's, Cleveland a, if that's you a great point, Jeff. That. You, you're really that's that's hitting it on the head. And I think if this team does close three and two, two and three, with really good vibes about both of the coordinators and what they've done for this group, the cohesion part of Arian saying, "Hey, I'll keep Freddie, or I'll, yeah, I'll keep Freddie as your offensive coordinator. I'll talk to Greg about running and with full autonomy on the defense again." That that is a realistic look at what might come, and I I personally have no problem with it. There will be people who don't like it. There would be people who didn't like if Belichick came back. Let's just be real. So, um, no man, that's good conversation. This is awesome. Obviously, we're recording this on a Sunday night after the Browns win. We're gonna put this up for you guys, Victory Monday, um, which is always the best Monday. Follow along. Obviously, today I'll have the Browns film breakdown rewind of the game TV broadcast angle. I try to put that out for you guys. If you are not. You are foolish. You need to be following Jeff Risden at Jeff Risden. He's going to give you good Browns insight. He brings on a bunch of good writers at the Browns uh, wire there who's going to give you, you know, uh, just an ubiquitous amount of articles. And uh, he's going to edit all that stuff, make sure it looks right. And he's going to give you good content too. So uh, good back and forth banter as well. Again, at Jeff Risden uh, on Twitter. If you guys can follow him, please do so. Jeff, my man, thanks for joining me, taking time out of your Sunday. My pleasure to talk about a win for once. It's great, man. <laughs> thanks for having me on. Always, buddy. See ya. I want to take a quick second to talk to you guys about the offers and opportunities at my bookie. You guys have heard me talk over the last few weeks about the full swing that is betting season right now. College hoops, the NBA, the NFL, college football season coming towards the playoffs and bowl season. It really doesn't get any better. My bookie is one of the best routes to go to put some money on the line. You guys can do a parlay, a teaser, whatever you want. My bookie's there for you. They're doing a great deposit bonus, 50% of what you put in. They kick back into your account. All you have to do is use the co the promo code BLUEWIRE. Again, that's the promo code BLUEWIRE. Get that 50% deposit bonus. My bookie is one of the best out there, guys. Great customer reviews online. They're going to give you simple information on their Twitter account. Always respond to you when you need to. And they're going to give you those prop bets, lines, quickly, effectively on that Twitter account. So if you guys are wanting to make some money, I cannot urge you enough. Jump on mybookie.com. It's the best route you guys can take. Protect your money with a great company and make some money for the holidays. All right, guys? Again, 50% deposit bonus. Use that promo code BLUEWIRE. As usual, you play, you bet, you win. That is my bookie. So as we close, guys, I want to fill you in with a barrage of statistics that I think are, are going to point out to you how well Baker Mayfield is playing. So only twice in NFL history since sacks became a stat, has a quarterback recorded back-to-back -back games with 20-plus pass attempts, a passer rating of 140-plus, and zero sacks they are. Baker Mayfield, weeks 10 through 12, and Drew Brees, also in 2018, weeks 10 and 11. Also, some startling facts from his first half. Mayfield was the first quarterback since the franchise returned to Cleveland with 200 passing yards, two touchdowns in the first half. It was his eighth consecutive game with a touchdown, the longest Streak for a Cleveland quarterback since Bernie Kosar, 
and five consecutive games with two-plus passing touchdowns, which is tied for the NFL rookie record. When Mayfield was really pressed to throw in the first half, he completed 17 of 21 throws, 245 yards, three touchdowns. He would go on to add a touchdown in the second half, finishing with those four touchdowns, taking his season total for touchdowns up to 17. Now, it will be interesting to pay attention to the finishing part of Mayfield's season. As the single-season record for rookie passing touchdowns is 26, set by Peyton Manning in 1998 and tied by Russell Wilson in 2012, Mayfield will have five more opportunities to go out and throw. Uh, That leaves him two touchdowns a game. He could set that rookie record, even missing the first two-and-a-half games of of of, his rookie season. So it really just continues the impressive role that Mayfield is on and uh, I would just say to Browns fans, sit back and enjoy what we're seeing because it's not often we get this type of performance, and it's really not often that you see a rookie quarterback do this sort of thing in general. And then two last topics to touch on is is the first is Mayfield's postgame comments about Hugh Jackson. Mayfield was asked in the postgame presser how he felt about Jackson and his departure to Cincinnati so quickly after his firing. Mayfield responded, he was trying to tell us to play for him, then he goes to a team we play twice a year. Everybody can have their spin on it. That's how I feel. Mayfield's obviously trying to say that that Hugh Jackson's decision, which is really an out-of-the-ordinary decision by a head coach who was fired to jump to a division rival midseason with two remaining games against his former team on the schedule. He's basically saying that he doesn't like that. You know, If you know anything about Mayfield, he's a a, a sort of loyalty character and has never been afraid to, to... speak his mind and tell everybody how he feels about the situation. It is well known that Hugh Jackson was a quote-unquote player's coach, but there's no doubt that Mayfield is speaking for the masses within that locker room, as we saw in pregame comments and so forth, with a sort of lack of respect for what Hugh Jackson did. Sure, Mayfield could have taken the higher road, there's no doubt about that, but I don't blame him for taking you know, the shot when he did there, because it's how he feels. He's never been one to hold back in the media, he's never been one to hold back on the field, and it's just, it's the nature of of Baker Mayfield, and I don't ever want to see that sort of thing change with him because I think that is a part of what makes him so special. And then lastly, I wanted to touch on Ian Rappaport's uh, report of of Bruce Arians. I do think it will be interesting as Arians admits to only being interested in the Cleveland job and having you know, approved of the situation with his wife and what his plan would be with this team, to pay attention to the last five games and how things finish here because if the Browns find a way to win enough of these football games, say three of the next five, push toward the playoffs there it would be a long shot for them to make it obviously but if they're able to continue the successful path they're on you do entertain the idea of Bruce Arians staying you know keeping Freddie Kitchens to keep the offense in a a coherent logical linear path in the understanding of who Freddie Kitchens is as a play caller as Kitchens continues to get better and better and then if you can keep Greg Williams in, uh, in, in place as the defensive coordinator, which would be very important for the Browns because that would mean three years in the defensive system. And when you find three years in the defensive system, that sort of cohesion allows you to play more freely and understanding of what's going on, and it would only benefit the Browns going forward. Now, this is obviously very premature. Five games left to play, a lot of football, over a month of football left to play. Everybody wants that young coach, that innovative coach. I want that too. But if the Browns continue to grow with this current group, do understand that that Arians rumor is going to continue to grow. And I will touch more on that this week as we, you know, discuss the Browns future, both immediate and the distant future over this upcoming final month of football and the off season. But as we wrap this episode up, guys, I want to give a shout out to another blue wire podcast called 
the chase down. You guys are Cleveland fans. The Cleveland basketball team, the Cavaliers, are on a sort of mini surge of late. Big wins over the uh, Sixers and Rockets. Those guys over there at the the Chase Down Pod do a great job. Justin and Carter do a great job breaking down Cavs info for you. Can give you all the information you need on Colin Sexton's rise of late. All of those things. So subscribe, follow over there if you can. Those guys are going to give you great content on the hometown team. Thanks for joining me today, guys. I look forward to hearing from you this week on the Brownstone Breakdown page. Per the usual, let me know anything you guys want to know on film study. Always available to have banter back and forth. See what we can figure out as the Browns jump into an important final five games, starting off with a road game at the Texans this upcoming weekend. But a big win, 35-20, over 500 in the division. Really doesn't get better. Enjoy it, Browns fans. I will see you guys later this week. Go Browns. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.